0: I put her on hold no, and let her totally straighten out with that in there I stroll through the pictures what I've left behind I'm locked, I'm locked up done. in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that zone will come You will never know, just what you have done Okay, this is good
1: Good evening and welcome to the Stop Child Abuse Now show This is scan number 3065, that's 3065, okay Tonight we're going to have a really, really good guest on And um, we have quite a few people that are calling in, and uh, and for those who want to call in, they don't quite know how to do it. Just dial the number 2118 and I'll see you in the studio here, and um, I'll put you probably on hold until I get to you. Um, I go from mic to mic to mic in uh, in sequence. So don't think that I'm ignoring you if you're the last one, you know what I'm saying? It's just that you have people ahead of you. Okay, so tonight we have Sonova Cantrell on tonight, and she's from Missouri, and she is an award-winning author, speaker, coach, and a life coach, seeker of knowledge and wisdom. After a decade in the world of true crime and victim advocacy, she has taken her 10,000 hours of study and entered the self-help field. And I'm really happy to see that, okay? I think she can probably help a lot of people. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, because as we go along, after she tells her story, okay, um, then we get into what she's doing today. But I can tell you something. um, To top it off, a flag was flown over the Capitol. This is blowing my mind. (laughs) Over the Capitol in Washington, D.C. to honor her cold case work, Now, I happen to think that's pretty cool, okay? (laughs) That's why I had to bring that out. But anyway, so what I have to do tonight is, first of all, I start out by reading the mission statement, and and then I will go to, you know, to Sonova, and ask her to, you know, start telling her story. And, Sonova, I think I had written to you how the show works, and if someone does have a a question or a comment to make, any one of the people that are starting to listen here, um, then what I would do certainly is uh I see Bill is here also. Okay, let me put his mic open. Hello, Bill. How are you? Yeah, in the background? Oh there you are. I'm here. Oh okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway I'm explaining to um Sonoba, you know, that we might I okay. might ask I for you. her to stop. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, for a couple of times
2: well, or something. Thank you very much for being here, Sonova. Tonight is important for us too. We we want to get to know you a little better, so thank you for being here. Thank you for
3: having
1: me guys. I appreciate
2: it. You no. Bet.
1: I very much appreciate she's here. And you know, Cricket's here also. Yes, she is. Cricket, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, we were fighting over. <laughs> That's crazy. All right. So anyway, okay, let me read the uh, the mission statement so that people know what NASCA is about, and uh, then I'll go back to Sonova and have her start to tell her story, okay? We have a singleness of purpose at NASCA, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so from two different ways. And number one is educating the public, especially as related to getting society over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. Number two, offering hope for healing through numerous pairs and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Okay? So those are the three things many times you'll hear me speaking about is prevention, intervention, and recovery. In fact, last night I spoke a lot about intervention. And I'm hoping that society, especially community, in our communities, that people will, you know, step up. And make a phone call when they know that something's wrong with a kid down the street. Because I think it's only with the survivors that are going to make a big change. And in, in, uh, if that change is ever going to happen. Um, you know, because the way it stands now, all the stats are up. I'm not happy about this. None of us are happy about it. And uh, so it's time that people, I believe this, take over. You have to have a fighting spirit. Yes, you do. And that's the way I am. Okay. So, um, tonight we have Sonova Cantrell, again, from Missouri, and she is an award-winning author, speaker, coach, and a lifelong seeker of knowledge and wisdom. Um, After a decade in the world of true crimes and victim advocacy, she has taken her 10,000 hours of study and and entered the self-help field. Uh, She's also a certified NLP life coach. Um, I know what NLP life coaches do. My husband had uh, gotten into becoming a hypnotherapist, and he was um, in all the newspapers and all that stuff, too. I mean, he was uh, certified through the American Union of NLP. Now, that's what she's through, through the American Union of NLP. And she will explain to everyone who's listening exactly what that is after she tells her story. She's also the owner of Sonova's Simply Biz, author, coaching service, and an award-winning crime writer with over 300 cases under her belt. To top it off, a flag was flown over the Capitol in Washington, D.C., to honor her cold case work. Now she's using her study and her experience to expire, inspire, rather, motivate and educate her audience. Zenova's life coaching includes elements of NLP uh, and practical psychology, um, uh, ancient principles, and biochemistry. Now... I am not going to read any more, and there's more to read. Uh, she does wear many hats, and we're very, very happy that she's on the show tonight. So go right ahead and, and start telling your, your story. That would be great.
3: Thank you. Um, I always want to encourage people um, wherever I go because I, um, I've been through so much myself. But I always start out as um, people want to have this stereotype in their minds that you have to be in a family that is not a loving family. You have to be in maybe a, an extremely poverty, you know, uh, extreme poverty. You have to be, you know, a certain ethnic group or a certain like this. All of those stereotypes that people that have not been victims of, of violence, they put these stereotypes on and I want everyone to know that I was none of, one of those things. I was raised by two very loving, very attentive parents, two parents that would consider themselves overly protective, maybe um, a little too much protection. Um, I was raised uh, we didn't have a lot of money. We had times where we were fairly poor and then times where we had a little more. Um, I was raised in a very religious family, but not to the extent of you see some things that are, you know, cultish. I wasn't into anything like that. Um, but I did have a, uh, a a father who had been on the other side of the tracks, we might say, Um, and then got his life straightened up and became a minister. So I was a, and there's another label. So as a child, I um, spent time with some family members um, who decided to take advantage of me as a child. And I won't go into the gory details, but I will tell you that There was a lot of of bullying that was externally visible. There was a lot of things that if maybe people around me had seen, had known what to look for, then they could have perhaps said something or stopped something or prevented something. But I don't blame them. They didn't know. To this day, I'm 42 years old. I didn't tell my mother until I was 35. My father still doesn't know, Um, but I had a family member who liked to bully me publicly, liked to put me down, hates me to this day, Um, and this person decided to molest me on more than one occasion. And what this did was I was so young, everything was so, with my family, there was no open communication about anything uncomfortable. So I didn't feel comfortable telling my parents when things happened to me. I didn't feel comfortable telling my mother what happened when I was 35. Because even to this day, there are things, that are just not discussed. Now, I do know that if things had been a little more open communication, that when things started leading up to the actual acts of abuse, if I had felt more comfortable to discuss what was happening to me, um, then perhaps the actual molestation wouldn't have happened. But... The way it turned out was this had became a ritual thing when we all stayed at a certain family member's house who all of the kids were just ran wild. The adult was there somewhere. um, But this is when this person decided to take advantage. And I remember being so young and yet... I still had the understanding that my dad is a preacher, so anything I do is going to reflect bad on him is the mindset that I had. So I thought, this person did this to me, and as a kid you have a warped sense of of reality. You don't seem to understand that people that hurt you, there's something wrong with them there wasn't anything wrong with me. There was something wrong with this person. The problem is, I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. I didn't feel comfortable enough to go to my mother and say, Mom, this person did this to me. Instead, I felt disgusting. I felt dirty. I felt unclean. I felt like I had somehow provoked And then the problem is, is once you start carrying that, and once you start believing that, then it almost puts this banner across your forehead that says, hey, pick me. And you will find that sometimes you are are victimized again by someone else. And... And then you think even worse of yourself. And this happened to me from three different individuals through a series from the time I was about seven to the time I was thirteen. Okay. I even moved to another town. We left that whole place. Left, you know, a whole different thing. I even told myself as a ten year old child that, okay, I can be whoever I want to be at this new school. Nobody knows what's happened to me in the past. I can be strong. I can be who I want to be. And then I found myself falling victim again. Two more people in two whole different locations that had no idea what happened the first time. What happened to me there I realize now has created this terrible inferiority complex that I still fight to this day. It created this, this innate, I'm not as good as other people. I'm not, and all of that's not true. But when I study, a reason why I got into this study and self-help, I study all this stuff to help myself, and then I share it with other people. I had a complete and total nervous breakdown at 25. Um, what I did was I started, I didn't feel good enough inside, so I started trying to place my value in what I could accomplish. So I, I didn't feel, I felt like somehow what was done to me was visible outside Somehow you could see it on my person somehow, you know, because it was like I was attracting more of these people in my life and I didn't know how to stop it. So um, by the time I was 25 years old, I had worked myself into a nervous breakdown because somehow in my skewed mindset, I thought my value is deteriorated somehow because of what this person has put me through and then what these other two people did afterwards. And Mm -hmm. in reality, my value was not deteriorated at all. But I didn't understand that. So I decided to overcompensate and become the best at everything. So I became the high achiever. I was the 4.0. I was the, I had the second highest GPA in college. I had, you know, I, I did the top. Everything I did, just the highest, the best, the highest, the best, the fastest I could go until i burned burn out, and then I had a nervous breakdown at 25. And I tried to place my value in what I could do, okay? And I didn't even understand what I was doing, until many, many, many years later. Um, And I'll be honest with people on the, you know, that are listening. I'm 42 years old. I've been studying self-help and psychology and uh, biochemistry and all this stuff for years now. And I still am just now beginning to understand what was happening to me. I was feeling less than, so I tried to overachieve. Okay? So people want to, going back to my very first statement when I came on, I break those stereotypes when I tell people that I was ritually, uh, ritualistically molested by a family member. I was in a loving family. I I was in a very other than when I was at this one place. I was overwatched. Uh, I told my dad once. I said, I think you dug a hole for me, and I've had to sit in it all my life, you know, because he was so paranoid, trying to protect me. Um, and so, but I break those stereotypes because, and I I want to make sure people listening understand that happen to just a certain type of people. It doesn't happen to just a certain type of child. Um, If you have a child that seems to be okay and is just super exceeding, overdoing everything just massively, um, you might look. Maybe they're placing their value in what they're doing and what they can achieve because something else is wrong. You know, that's the way I was. That's the way I will tell you now. I I kind of fall into a habit of that now. I I try to overachieve, overachieve, and then I burn myself out. And so, but now I realize my value was not diminished because somebody else decided to hurt me. Um, My value didn't diminish in me. Their value, they were the ones that had the problem. They were the ones that had the problem. And yet I took their problem and tried to hold it for myself. And at one point in time, this person that has hated me, absolutely hates me to this day, came to me because their daughter missing, and I was helping solve cold cases. And they asked me to help them with their daughter's case, and I did. Hmm. And it hurt. Part of me wanted to say, heck no. Part of me wanted to say, after what you did to me, how dare you ever speak to me? But I felt like if I did that, that's what, that's what this person would expect me to do. So I did. I wrote about the daughter's case. They did find, uh, they did solve the case. Um, but what I really want people on this show to understand is, is your value is not placed in what's happened to you. Um, and it's okay to speak to people. Yeah, I was always afraid to tell anybody because I didn't want to make my dad the preacher of this church. I didn't want anything to, I, didn't, I was afraid to make him look bad as a kid. Well, if you think about that, that's ridiculous. He didn't do anything to hurt me. Nobody in his church did anything to hurt me. But that's the way a child thinks. And so I was afraid to tell him, and so I was by being afraid to tell him, I ended up being put in this situation over and over and over again, because if he knew that when I went to this supposedly trusted family member's house, you know after after we got off the school bus, if he knew what was going on there, he would not have let me go back but I was too afraid. And so I want people to understand that that it it doesn't change your value. It it's not gonna tarnish your your you know, somebody, your who you are. You're you're still the most amazing creation on this planet and and you're valuable just for being. But uh I started studying, and I'll tell you what got me into studying this stuff, because I started writing true crime stories to help raise awareness uh, for cold cases. And um, I had built myself back up at 25, got myself patched back together, had my kids, continued on with my life. But 10 years later, I was in a group of people um and i allowed that group of people to nearly stress me to the point that i nearly had my second nervous breakdown and i'm like what 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 was this why did i let them have so much power over me how did i let myself get back to this point because i had to build myself back up from nothing at 25, and here I am, 36, and I uh, I, almost hit that spot again. I'm like, why? What did I do? What happened? And so that's when I started studying uh, psychology. I started studying how the brain works, how the mind works, how habits affect your nature and how you can reprogram and how your subconscious works and, and all this stuff because the problem is is, most of our daily behaviors are handled by the subconscious. And the subconscious is where all of that hurt, all of those memories of molestation are, all of those memories of, of abuse, all of those traumatic memories of, of, uh, of being just tormented by this individual all of that is down there in that subconscious lurking, and I wanted to know how to get it out. So that's why mm-hmm. I started studying NLP, uh, that neuro-linguistic programming. It's literally how you can use your language to hack your own mindset for success. I studied mm-hmm. neuro-linguistic programming for myself. I wanted to know how to fix me. And so I'm not one of those <laughs> life coaches that act like everything's fine and you've got everything together. Um, I'm one of them that tells you, hey, I'm still working on things. I, I haven't got everything together yet. Um, but here's what I've learned and here's what I'm working on and maybe it'll help you while it helps me. Um and so that's kind of the reason why I agreed to come on this show because I thought, well, I don't know how many people are listening on a regular basis, but if I can help one person who's hurting so bad but still, you know, as an adult afraid to tell anybody, you know, um, that's what really, really I want to reach those people because there's nothing wrong with you there was something wrong with the abuser. And to this day this person literally I've got death threats from this person. I have literally this person has has any time I I tell I told my husband, I said, Well, that's what I get for picking up a snake, you, you get bit, you know. Um, but I, I, that's where I come from. That's that's what well, happens. Let me to let
1: me stop you for a second, honey. Okay. There's so much mm-hmm. that you've covered here. Okay. Let's go back a little ways here, because we're all survivors on this show. Okay, and we're all at different levels, and um, I really feel. A lot of sadness for you, and I'll tell you why, Sinnova. Um All of us, many of us, had uh, abuses that started at a very early age. Um, some before me. I'm not, mine started at six and ended by the time I was 17 with different people, like you're saying. Craziness. But you were a little girl, and, and you carried all of this weight, okay? All of this weight inside of your little head and your little heart, okay, all these years. And um, you didn't want to tell your father because, after all, he was a preacher, and you didn't want to tarnish. You're more worried about tarnishing, you know, your daddy's uh, reputation maybe or the church would get upset, not at your father, but just simply upset mm-hmm. because child abuse um, is a very upsetting thing, okay, okay. And uh, it must have been a terrible wait, okay, wait, on you all those many, many years not to be able to, to speak to someone, you know, about, you know, what happened to you. And here was this little girl who was so worried about hurting other people's feelings or making other people, maybe the family, embarrassed or whatever, ashamed, you felt dirty, you felt this, you felt that, all that stuff is very normal. Um mm-hmm. in fact my son is in the middle of writing another song and dirty is going to be in it. <laughs> okay? Because mm-hmm. that's that's what we do. We we many times do feel dirty. We just simply do. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't our fault. We didn't do anything wrong. We were just a kid.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. And we
1: have no one to talk yep. to. So many times we don't have a voice. That's mm-hmm. where that comes from. We don't have a voice. Yep. So you yep. had all those years of of, of keeping this inward. Who was the first person that you did tell? May I ask?
3: Um, well, I um, I met my husband when I was fifteen. And i he we dated through uh, high school yeah, uh, and we got married right after high school. Um, and of course, I told him before we got married, um, and and I ended up telling his sister at the time who was my best friend. Um, and so they were the only two that knew um, until. Like I said, 35. I told my mother, yeah. Mm-hmm. And see, what people don't understand is, is when I say stuff like this now, it doesn't even make sense. You know, how is that going to tarnish my father's reputation? But as a kid, that's how you think. You know, you think, oh man, everybody's going to look at me like I'm, I'm disgusting. I am, I, you know. I didn't go anything, you know. It wasn't mm-hmm. me. It was some other broken person who is still broken to this day, who lashes out and destroys anybody this person can come into contact with. Mm-hmm. And so, but when we just verbalizing what we think sometimes will help, even if we're just talking to the wind, because just when we say it out loud, we can recognize how how kind of ridiculous that sounds, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because um, just saying it out loud, you're like, well, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Why will the church uh, be upset because somebody hurt me? Um, this person didn't go to that church. This person didn't have a bunch of friends in that church. This person didn't even know that church existed, um, So what difference does it make, you know? But when we, the problem is is we build these things in our subconscious mind and we don't think them through. We don't, they're placed there with a powerful emotion. And it's placed in there and then it do not take time to pull that out of Uh, My mom used to say, out of your mind attic, you know, because you have these cobwebs and things, you know, you got to clean that up. Well, I kind of think of the subconscious that way. Sometimes back there in that mind attic in the corner that seems like it's forgotten and covered in six inches of dust, there's pain back there that is ruling our lives in ways we don't even understand. But we're too afraid to go back in that dark corner and open up that box. Because to us it's like Pandora's box and we're like if we open it, what's going to come out? And we're afraid. But sometimes Mm -hmm. just pulling it out into the light and we open it up and we look at it. Maybe it's something from childhood and we open that dusty old trunk. And we pull out these things that have been tormenting us all of our lives, and we bring them out to the light of day. And as adults, we can see. We can see so much clearer than when we put it in that attic space to begin with. And we can mm-hmm. say, oh, this wasn't me. This wasn't a problem with me. This was a problem with that individual this was a problem with this person. This was a problem with this person. This was a bully. This That had nothing to do with me. That person's a jerk. It had nothing to do with me. You know, this is what we need to do, but we're so scared to go over there into that darkness and pull it out and open it up to the scrutiny of 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 delight, you know, and, and I think that's what these programs are so wonderful for, because mm-hmm. uh, when I was talking to you before, Carol, when we were talking about doing this, um, I'm like, I don't want to go on the show and just rehash the pain that happened to me over and over again. Every month, just get on there and talk about the pain, talk about the pain. No, I was like, how is that going to help? And she's like, no, that's not what we do. And um, and I was like, okay, great, because I don't even talk about it too much enough because I don't want to build up any more emotional attachment to that chest that's still in my memory, but it's over there. I've looked at it thoroughly, and I choose to not have any emotional attachment to it. And that is to mm-hmm. the point where I'm at now. It's so hard to
0: okay. get and
1: that that's good. I know I know what you're saying there. But and you keep referring to that it's in uh in the subconscious mind. Um mm-hmm. so often it's always gonna be in our mind, you know, that it happened, you know, Sonova. It did happen, because it did happen, right? It's how we handle yeah, what happened. You know. And like exactly. I have I have um I'm a very strong, tough person. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. and I'm the type of person that you wants to punch someone on the nose. You know, mm-hmm. if they do something mm-hmm. bad to me, <laughs> that's the way I am, and I don't yeah. care yeah. because I I know I know that what happened to me and to all children, not just me, all children mm-hmm. who are you know physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually or neglected, it's never their fault. Okay. No. Never. And yet as a child, because we don't have someone to go to, you
0: know,
1: I don't know, your parents, I don't know if you had told them if they would have taken you to a therapist, say, or a counselor um, or, you know, whatever, um, to Mm -hmm. talk it out, to talk it through. I don't know what good it would have done. You know, for them to know, and this is what you're looking at too. You're wondering what good we would have done for them to know. You, you told your mother, and but you haven't mm-hmm. told your father. But you have to remember, mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. displease your father with what happened to you because it wasn't your fault. Mm-hmm. No. 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 No.
3: And this is the, this is the things that we have to get across.
1: He... Yeah, we got to get this across yeah. to people. I, I'm the night owl. I get all this stuff in the a.m. Yeah. Sometimes it happens mm-hmm. before the AM, and um, that where people are in, in still down in that that rut, okay, and they're just mm-hmm. mulling it over. I use the word mulling it, you know, mulling it over. Maybe I invented a, a new word. I don't know. And and they don't let no, it I've go. They don't the- let it. <laughs> they don't <laughs> let it free. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? And yeah. Um, yeah, that's why sometimes you'll you'll see even in some organizations or or even with some psychologists. Yeah. Um, they'll have you write down whatever your problem is They'll take you up in an air balloon You've probably heard of this this therapy mm-hmm. and, and you throw it away In other words, you're giving it freedom mm-hmm. And then you have other um, Yeah, that's well known And yeah. then you have other um, I like people it. that uh, Yeah, they, you have those people Write something down And maybe you'll have a bonfire Okay, I'm just using it, mm-hmm. and, and you throw it into yeah. the bonfire So therefore, that problem is gone And if you can take the mindset. I like to do that one
3: because um, I like to do the the burning one because people don't understand um, energy is nothing is created or destroyed. It just changes from one form to another. And I think Mm -hmm. that's where people need to understand that childhood abuse and trauma, it's not going to go away. It's just going to change forms. Okay, Mm -hmm. So when you write something on a piece of paper, I like to write my limiting beliefs, all of the pains and things like that, on a piece of paper and put it in the fire. I like to stand and watch it because you'll watch it. That paper will start to turn gray, and then it'll black, and it'll scribble, and it'll catch on fire, and then it'll get into scribbly pieces, and it'll just float off into the wind. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is what happens when you're trying to recover from abuse. We want to think, oh, I want to get rid of it. I want to get rid of it. I want to get rid of it. You cannot get rid of it. You cannot forget it. You cannot take that piece out of your history and throw it away. I wish to God you could. I wish I could. I mean, I work with... um, I used to work with Mary Ann from Missouri Missing, and I was talking to her last night, and this is the 20th Christmas that she hasn't had her daughter home, and half the time the newspapers won't even run a story on it because it's old news to everyone else but the poor mother. You know, I'm sitting here, I wish to God I could take that out of her history and throw it away, but you can't. The only thing you can do is transform it into something else. Okay, so you can transform that pain into the building blocks to make you the powerhouse you are today. That is what I try to do. I try to take that pain and build it into something else because just like that paper, it turns mm-hmm. into dust and floats into the air. That's the only, that's just a visual uh, aid to what we can do. We can only take the pain and transmute it into building blocks to make us stronger, harder, faster, better. That's all we can do. We can't take it out. And by burning that paper, we don't get rid of the paper. All of the elements of that paper are still there. They're in the ashes. They're blown away in the wind. All of the elements of that paper is still there. It's just changed forms. You know, it's mm-hmm. like water. When you boil it, it evaporates. It's changing forms, and that's all we can do as, as if you've suffered abuse and trauma and neglect, sexual abuse, mm-hmm. mental abuse, verbal abuse, mm-hmm. physical abuse. All you can do is transmute it, transform it into something else. You know, I always, I'm kind of more of a visual person. I know not everyone is, but if you can... Mm-hmm take it, and you remember that old 80s cartoon where you had the transformers, and they started out as little bitty machines, and then they built up, up, and then there was these big huge skyscraper machines at the end, and they were shooting each other, you know, all we can do is take the pain Mm -hmm. and stack it up onto something else, and stack it up and stack it up, build it up until you become the powerhouse you're meant to be, because... If I could take everyone's pain, I'm an empathic person. I have a hard time because I care too much about people, um, Mm -hmm. and people don't care about me as much as I care about other people. I am empathic by personality. Um, If I, and I, I promise you, if I could take a magic wand and take the pain out of everyone's past, I would do it. I would do it because if there were no hurting people, there would be no more abusers. If there were no hurting people, there would be no more bullies. There would be no more neglect children. There would be no more abused children. There would be no poverty, no grief, no war because most of our wars are greed. Most of our poverty is because of greed you know, there's plenty on this planet to go around. You've just got some people who are greedy and don't want to share with those in need. So, but anyone who's listening tonight, I just, or maybe if you listen to the replay, I want you to understand that, one, your value is not placed in anything external. Your value comes from within, okay? Your value comes from you. Nothing external should change your value, okay? Nothing that happens to you should change your value, okay? So if someone abused you, that doesn't diminish your value. That just is something that had happened, and I wish to God I could fix it, but I can't. You are the only one that can transmute that from pain to power. And that's all that I'm trying to do. And I'll be honest with you. When I see this individual now, I still cringe inside. And I avoid this person. Because when I go to certain certain family functions, that person is there. And <laughs> if I know that person's going to be there... And and, and they, if I know that person's going to be there in advance, I won't go. But now that's I good also, right there. Let me let me say
1: something about that because then then I want to go to the panel because I, I they might have uh, you know some questions or comments. I've had people ask me that even one time during a presentation I was giving because it was getting close to Thanksgiving. Okay, and. Uh, They had asked me what I thought about that. They certainly didn't want to see the abuser. Well, why would we, right? Um, If you go up to the abuser and say, you did so-and-so, they're just going to say, oh, you liked it. You asked for it. They turn it around. They twist it around. You know what they do. And uh, so she was wondering if she should even bother to go, you know, to Thanksgiving dinner because there were other people, other family members that she wanted to see. So I said, Mm -hmm. well, way the sides, and I I think I've done this in the past too. I think we all do. Um, Mm -hmm. If you go to a a family dinner, and are you going to have enjoyment by the other people that you like? Are you able to put that person aside enough to enjoy yourself, knowing that this person uh, is not a normal person? You cannot expect normal behavior from someone who's not normal. And that's what I've done all my life, you yeah. know. I just simply just well, push them aside, you know, you know. Yeah, like go uh, away. Like you did this. You're things. an asshole. Excuse my French. And uh, because that's what that's got me through life was by being rough and tough.
3: Right.
0: You
1: know, yeah. And let me um, add
3: one more thing to yeah. this. If you are, yeah. if this is the thing, what is life? And I ask a lot of questions, um, but what is life? If you, have, if you have lost a loved one and you have watched someone pass away, you see the light go out of their eyes. The energy is gone. Life is energy. You only have so much energy in your lifetime, okay? Now, this is where you make your decision on Thanksgiving or holidays or whatever. Mm-hmm. That abuser took a piece of your existence from you. You can't get it back. I wish you could. But here's the thing. Are you going to give them another piece of it? You have to get to a point where you're mad enough, you're angry enough that you refuse to give them another piece. It's And this is kind of a graphic illustration, but I'm going to ask you, would you cut off your finger and hand it to them? No, that's ridiculous. Well, you might as well because you are cutting off so much of your energy and you're giving it to your abuser. Now, if you want to take, you've only got so many holidays left before you go into whatever next plane of existence is. Mm
0: -hmm. You only
3: have so many holidays left. Do you want to take a piece of your life and give it to that abuser just because they're going to be at a holiday festival or holiday event of some sort? Do you want to give them more? They took too much already. Don't give them any more. If they're going to be at that Thanksgiving dinner and you're still so triggered by what they've done to you, You are literally destroying your own holiday by going because Mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. not going to care. You're not hurting them any. You're not hurting the abuser by going and being miserable. You're just destroying uh, another piece of your life. You are just handing it over to the person who stole your life in the first place. And so Mm -hmm. um, I finally had to get to a point where I'm like, This person is not taking any more from me. No more. And that's where you've got to get to the point. Is that holiday dinner so important that you want to destroy your day because that person is going to be there? Or would you rather make a separate date to go and have dinner with the two or three people at your family reunion you want to see? Breaking tradition Mm -hmm. is, is totally completely acceptable Especially when you've been abused
1: Well you know what I agree with that And um, in fact I've told people I've, I've suggested that, that same thing um, If you don't want to go Then don't go And don't feel guilty about not going mm. See them later well, on I think I, well, I did a show like maybe a month ago Saying that same thing you know, well, Arrange for a time to see the people That you, you did care Or do care about I should say about and uh, mm-hmm. have your own dinner together. Now, exactly. Then you have someone who's like me. And I think to myself, mm-hmm. I'm not going to allow for this person to define who I am. I'm not going to allow for this person to rule my life. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to allow for exactly. them to ruin it either. Okay. So I'll just yeah. put my head up okay. high and, uh, you know, go to another part of the room, talk to these people I want to see. I may not stay as long as I normally would if that person's there. I'll give you that but I will at least right. have shown that person that they're going, not going mm-hmm. to intimidate me mm-hmm. anymore.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: No more. I but think it comes down
3: to how much yeah. do they still trigger you.
2: Um,
3: yeah. If they trigger you to the point where you can't, you can't enjoy the moment with those that you love, then you don't need to go. If you can right. get to the point where they don't trigger you as long as they're over there on that side of the room and they're not bothering you, you can focus and have a good time and by all means go. But right. you need, you're the only person, you, this is where I get upset, you are the only person that can decide, is this going to trigger me mm-hmm. to the point I'm going to not enjoy myself? Right. don't let other family members other family members bully you into traditions, because if you study holidays, holidays are different for every nationality, every person, the holidays that we celebrate used to be pagan holidays and then they were changed over to a judeo christian mm-hmm. type holiday now they're more secular holidays they 've been relabeled ten thousand times. you label it what you want don 't let <coughs> nobody bully you into going. Where you
1: don't want to go I like what you just said You label it what you want I like that You see um, Everything is being so changed today in, in, In society and in our world we have to. You can't say with the pronouns and all this other stuff. My God! Finally, decide. You know what? I'm me. I'm going to speak the way that I speak, and if people don't like it, walk away. <laughs> you know, because I'm not going to try and keep up with all those pronouns and all this other stuff. I'm mean, get out of here. So, um, but I, I do want to go. I like what the, I like the, the the thought behind that. What you just said. That's good. That's, that's healthy. Let me let me go to uh, cricket. Okay, because I'm I'm sure she wants to say hello to you, and maybe she'd like to you know ask you a question, and then I'll go down the um, you know to everybody else. Go ahead.
4: Sure. Go ahead, Cricket. I'm speechless. <laughs> you know, you You're speechless. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> did I say that out loud? <laughs> yeah, you um, did. <laughs> Now I can relate to a lot of things Um, Like me working with kids For so many years Yeah we had to teach the stranger danger But for me it was more important To just teach them That nobody Has the right to touch you This is your body Because Mm -hmm. the majority of abuse Comes from not strangers It comes from people we know
3: (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, the stranger danger thing, um is completely flipped on its head nowadays. It's Yeah. You know, but uh it yeah, abuse usually comes the majority of the time. Um
4: usually mm-hmm. comes from someone you know. Mhm. I mean I, I know that some of uh Fiji's relatives got mad because he didn't wanna hug them. Oh well, that's his right. Mm-hmm. Hmm? You know, I
1: didn't care if they got mad Well, what you just said there is so true Because, you know, sometimes um, And and people don't mean bad by this I don't believe, you know But they'll push the child Go go hug your grandmother Go hug your aunt or uncle or whomever I don't know And uh, maybe the child really doesn't want to For whatever reason
4: Exactly
1: You know, and uh, they should respect that too they expect children to respect them because they're the elders. But the elders, you know, to, to give them also um, something to go by, to learn by, uh, they have to respect them also, even though they're a child. It right. works both ways. You know, it's an example mm-hmm. type of thing, you know. So, right. you know, that that's important. That's a very important uh, point that you made there. Let, let me uh, go down to Bill and see what he's up to.
2: I'm up to no good like usual.
1: <laughs> Did you say
2: you're up to no good? Um, Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, as, as usual,
1: yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that
2: right? Cricket was speechless. That was amazing. Cricket, what happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> I
1: know. I do know. <laughs> She's never speechless around me. But then I always uh, bring no. out people, don't I? Sometimes the good, the bad, yeah. and the ugly. We won't talk about that. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, so I'm... Um, Pretty impressed by everything you said. It made a lot of sense. Everything did, and your, you know, the sharing that you did was is right in course with, um, right on track with everything that NASCA stands for. So I'm really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your um, analogy about going to the going to the uh, holiday dinner mm-hmm. and being uncomfortable because perhaps your predator is going to show up is, is again. Something that we discuss every every Thanksgiving and every Christmas at least, yes. and sometimes every New Year, because this is you know it doesn't matter how long you are away from your the abuse, yeah. You know, if it's the same person, it's it's gonna um, gonna be right in your face. because that's how we feel it right in my face. Right. So you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough to enjoy. I I recommend when people do that that they. Um, they, they keep themselves busy and next to somebody else, you know, like someone that's not a problem uh, for the evening. And you know, don't don't stay late either. You know, go yeah. maybe go late and and leave early is a good idea. So you right. can you can still participate in the family thing and everybody's happy. You know, she came over and blah blah blah. It wasn't nice to see her, and that's it. You know, you don't have to stay forever. Yeah, no, but I I really appreciate everything you're saying here and yeah, you know, I think you're gonna make a great co host. So thank you very much. Oh,
3: thank you. I appreciate that.
2: You're welcome.
1: Mm-hmm. I already know that. That's why she's on the show. <laughs> but you know one <laughs> one thing we one one thing we do um we do teach here at at Nasca is uh always to stay away from toxic people. All right. And what you just said a little while ago is quite right in my mind's eye. And I'm sure everybody else is as well. Um, you know, if a person's going to make you feel terribly uncomfortable, if you can't handle it it's going to ruin your time, you know, then, yeah, that's a toxic person. And you just stay the heck away from them, you know, and, and you know, make plans other times or whatever. Um, life is short. You're right. Especially for someone like me. It's real short, okay? <laughs> okay. But you have to remember that there's wisdom there, okay? I've lived all these years, so that means that I'm very wise. Isn't that right, Bill? Oh, yeah. Huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love to do that with him. <laughs> we go back and forth. I, I can... love it. <laughs> I anyway... can the
3: sarcasm dripping off his lips. <laughs> 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 okay. so that's why it's
1: so much fun that's with him. Right. I have a blast with him. But anyway, the point is... Um, <laughs> Why why do something if it's going to make you feel uncomfortable, okay? And uh, yep. I've gotten I've gotten rid of family uh, members, and uh, most of them have passed away. I had people come over on the Mayflower. I don't think I knew them. No, I wouldn't have known them. But I, the, the family tree shows back on my mother's side, because I know she was my mother. Um, but they came from, you know, they were actually on the Mayflower and came to this country. Wow. Okay. So... You know, when you have all the red and all these people, you know, all these people, um, you know, it's uh, like they used to sit me across from my brother <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on Thanksgiving. Now, he was one of my abusers, and all I wanted to do was kick him. That's all I could think of, okay? I wasn't afraid of him. I was mad at him because he was so abusive. He's five years older than me. So his abuse with me started when I was nine, so when I was nine, you know, I was he was already 14, and then, so I did go over to the other table, because the kids had to sit at one table. I don't know if you had to go through this. That's craziness, but the kids had to sit at one long table, and the adults had to sit at a, you know, or did sit at the other table, because after all, they were the adults, so we couldn't be a part of, actually, you know what I'm saying? We were already separated. So for me, sitting across from one of my abusers, I, I felt like doing all kinds of things to him. Okay, <laughs> that's for, that's just the way it was. So, um, but I had no say in the matter. I was just a kid. So when we get older, that we have every right to say, "No, I'm not going to have the holiday ruined. I love Christmas. I love Easter. I, I, I'm just one of those people, and and I love you know I love Thanksgiving." And uh, I'm not going to let these people you know bother me, so I would handle it you know one way accordingly, but because I have a fighting spirit in me, sometimes i just show up just because and it made me feel good, and then I'd walk out and go ha, 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 ha. <laughs> that's the way I am, but you know everyone's not like me where you you know it bothered me, don't get me wrong, you never get over it like you said, like you said, you never get over it, but you put it oh. in a different part of your brain that's what you do. Yeah. That's what you do. So, um we have um we have Laurie here too. Lori, is there something that you wanted to uh speak about, ask a question or um or make a comment?
5: Uh, briefly. Um I'm the total opposite of you. You know, I confront it as it happens. I guess it's because I'm older I don't know, it just comes out of my mouth. It made me feel better. And I know. <laughs> the way you're doing it is working, so stick with it. I just deal with different people. And when I came from a violent background, you, you deal back the same thing.
0: So mm-hmm.
5: the, my family spread all over the place, and everybody hated everybody. But, you know, as they die, you end up at the funerals. funerals. Um, you'll see the people, you know, either way. You talk to them, you know, talk to them. Some people, like. They're invisible to me I walk right by my sister I wouldn't say a word you know. But she's not going to keep me from going You still got the rest of your life to live So A lot of years ahead of you you, This is going to be like a smaller Incident And then a smaller incident And you'll fill up Mm -hmm. the rest of your life So you won't have to think like this all the time Yeah See that's it
1: right there So we don't have to think about it all the time uh, the AM hours, the people are calling me because their mind is spinning around. Let me tell you, it's not over. They don't know how to stop that that restless mind, and then all of that uh, the, the thought process comes in of the abuse. You know, this one did that, that one did this, whatever, whatever. And it just goes on and on, yeah. and yeah, that that's not a good way to be. Uh-uh. That's hard. So you know, I, I tell them, you know. Well, you can live that way if you want to. I would want to.
4: And um, I Carol, just told them. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the, the call dropped, and Sonova had to dial back in. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, yeah, I see up at the top here.
1: Yeah, I see. All right, she's got call back in. She told me that she yeah. might have something coming through. And uh, that it might interfere a little bit. I think she's here right now again. Yes or no?
4: Yes, let she should be. be.
1: Yeah, she's the four one seven, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She is. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Let me let me open up her mic then. Um, are you there now, Sonova? Yes. Can you
3: hear me? Yeah. yeah. You can you yeah. hear me now? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I, no, was, that, I, I was I, commenting yeah, along. And-
1: <laughs> but, oh, it's I think okay. Can hear me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You know, I, I want to um times are wasting here, boy. This this show is going fast. I do want to hit upon um some of the things that are in the bio here too. Um you're a a true crime writer, correct?
3: I was. Yes.
1: You were. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um an organized crime: A biography of the ex-gangster Sydney Heard of Ch- Chicago. Yes, yeah. okay. I have all
4: her crime books. They're really good.
1: Oh, I'm sure they are. I'm <laughs> sure she's a wonderful, wonderful, um, you know, writer. It says here, author. But um, this uh, thrilling tale of con games, bank robbery, and mayhem has recently been endorsed by a retired FBI agent. Her best-selling mm-hmm. series. Wow, seriously, Stupid Criminals. I think most criminals are stupid, to be honest with you. All right, is a film Um, favorite in both paperback and an e-book format. What got you interested in in writing about this type of material? Let me ask you that. I'm curious.
3: Well, I don't write about it anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. I've completely transitioned away from true crime um, for some very specific reasons. Um, and I don't normally promote it anymore. But uh, Mm -hmm. I started writing the biography of the ex-gangster from Chicago, and it was actually about his redemption story, about him getting his life back together after uh, 50 years of crime and chaos. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I knew I needed to do something to um, keep my audience warm while I was writing the next book. And so I started writing a blog, and it took me a little while um, to figure out what, you know, what my pace was. And then I found a real passion in writing about cold cases because I wanted to help solve some of these cases that weren't getting enough publicity. And uh, so that's how I ended up writing about three over 300 cases. Um, I actually helped bring four cases to a conclusion, um, And uh, so, but I found when I solved, when I helped these cases become solved, that's when I've really got this light bulb moment. Um, I always wrote from a victim's standpoint. I worked directly with the victim's family members. I didn't do the blood, the guts, the gore. I didn't do any of that. I, I wrote it from the heartfelt standpoint of the mother who's still waiting for her daughter to come home and will never come home. You know, I, I wrote from the mm-hmm. family and the victim's family members perspective. Um, so I was doing a lot of little coaching on the side um, and, and doing a lot of studying and trying to help these people through trauma. Um, and, I I really felt like I was helping people because I was – I got my blog up to where it was going out to a potential of – I had a potential of half a million viewers each week. Um, That's how I was generating leads for law enforcement. That's how I was trying to bring in, you know, and solve some cases. Um, But when I did get these cases solved, I got one case. um, She was fighting for 54 years for justice for her little brother. Um, mm-hmm. I brought in, you know, FBI came in on the case. I even brought in a Hollywood producer and then it was like I almost took her identity from her. And she just kinda spun around in circles not knowing what to do with herself and it was and she went from I was like family to her for five years to all of a sudden, she couldn't stand me almost, and it was like I gave you what you were asking for. Um, and then I realized I need to be working on these people's mindsets more than more so than their cases, because when their case is solved, I, I told someone I said, "I hope I'm wrong, but I have a feeling once her brother's case is solved, she may pass away within a few months because she has nothing else. Her whole." her whole life has been consumed by this cold case and and she's she's pushed away her family she's pushed away her friends she's pushed away her kids she's pushed away everybody has kind of labeled her a nutcase almost and and just pushed her away and um here i was still trying to um to help her and and uh um and it, It really hurt, you know, because I was like, I've worked for you for five years and Mm -hmm. you would tell me you loved me when you got off the phone. I was like one of your kids and, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, and I realized, you know, back to that whole abusive scenario, it wasn't nothing to do with me. She didn't know what to do with herself now. I had never worked on that mentality, and and so I started working on a program that I still haven't released. It's called From Victim to Vitality because I'm like there's got to be a a transmutation of that pain somewhere. Otherwise, she's just going to spin in circles until she's gone. I mean, she was 76, I think, Mm -hmm. and she had been fighting for 54 years, and I'm like, you know, um... I don't think she's going to last much longer now that, you know, the case has come to a resolution. I can't really say it's solved because it's so old they're most likely to never take it to court. But uh,
0: Man.
1: It,
3: that's what got me into true crime, and that's also what got me out. <laughs> right, Did right. I answer your question, you. or did I just go off on a tangent?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. No, you absolutely answered it. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I I know, like with Cricket, um, she... She worships the ground you walk on. She absolutely does, <laughs> and you know she, uh, you know she would speak uh, a lot of times. And of course she has the hat. You know she'd wear the hat, and, uh, the fedora. and yeah, and and always speaking yeah. so highly of, of Sinova, Sinova, this Sinova, and um, <laughs> you know and and then i get is, jealous, jealous, What
4: about me? Sometimes <laughs> no, turned <laughs> me into a published writer. <laughs> Go ahead, what? and my writing coach <laughs> I know
1: Yeah Well you know I've, oh, I've yeah. listened to a couple Of your shows I want you to know that Sonova. Okay oh, The yeah. ones that you You yeah. said You know The Monday specials You know you, And oh, um, Yeah You do make a lot of sense And I like that I like it when people Make sense Because so many People don't Okay
0: Yeah
1: And um, yeah. I, I think that You get to the depth You know Of like a person's Uh, where they need to be healed, okay, the pain. Mm -hmm. I think you understand that. And I think that came probably from when you were just a little girl growing up, going backwards a little bit because Mm -hmm. you had to hold all of that inside of you, all of that information that should never have been given to a little girl or a little boy, okay? Right. And did you ever get into... Did you ever get into alcohol and drugs, or how did you handle all this 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 terrible pent up um, feelings? Did you have feelings of anger? Did you have feelings of hatred? Tell us a little bit about that.
3: Um, I never got into drugs or alcohol. Um, I never touched any of that because, like I said, I was more worried about uh, inflicting any kind of negativity on my father and his church. Um, and so I I was I always tried. I went the opposite direction into people pleasing so I try to live by every standard that everybody thought a good Christian preacher's kid should live um, according to some people your skirt had to be so long and your hair had to be so long and you had to have your sleeves this way and then you'd go to another place and they'd be like oh no no that's ridiculous you need to have this and so I would do that and then I would try to live through this one and then they'd be like no you can't listen to this kind of music you can only listen to this and no you can't watch this kind of TV shows how dare you have a TV and Your house, you know. So it it was just like an entire lifetime filled with trying to please everybody who's putting me up on this pedestal, just so they can push me off of it. And then Mm -hmm. when I hit forty, I realized I lost my grandfather. See, I I have lost fifteen people in the last two and a half years, and Mm -hmm. it's killing me. But. The thing is, is when I lost my grandfather, it hit me hard because we shared a birthday. And that was our thing. He always would hug me like, we're the same age. And uh, I was born on his 40th birthday. And he'd hug me like, we're the same age. You're prettier than me, but we're the same age. And, you know, so I went to the graveside that next year. And I was like, well, Papa, we're the same age, and I'm sure you're prettier than me now. You know? Uh, (laughs) But, uh, uh, yeah, you know, but, uh, but the thing is, is, um, I, uh, ADHD moment. I'm squirreling here. Um, oh, how did I feel with all this? My thing was, is I, I didn't let it out is the problem. I didn't let it out into drugs. I didn't let it out into alcohol. I didn't let it manifest into anything. I kept it. I kept it. So there is this, I'm never enough. I'm never good enough. I've got this in, internal turmoil while I question everything. Um, and I, when I was 40, I realized, you know, because I was excited. I wanted to turn 40 with my grandfather. He'd be 80 and I'd be 40. And that was the first birthday I had to celebrate alone. And it sucked. I'm not going to tell you. It was great. It sucked. Mm-hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. And then I'm going I'm to go to hell because I said sucked. Um, uh, You know, because I'm a preacher's daughter I shouldn't say that, you know so But this is, you know, I make a joke about it now But that's exactly the way I spent my whole life And I realized I spent 40 years Trying to make everybody else happy Except for me
1: Yeah, see that's what I was trying to get at before I'm like,
3: I've -hmm. spent 40 years Making everybody else happy climbing back up on that pedestal again just so they could knock me off. You know, I wouldn't listen to a certain kind of music because, because so somebody says, oh, well, a preacher's kid shouldn't dress like that. Okay, so I wouldn't dress like that. Preacher's kid shouldn't talk like that. Okay, so I didn't talk like that. A preacher's kid should, you know. So and every single person has a different idea of what they think a preacher's kid should do. You know, uh-huh, someone asked uh-huh. me, oh, are you going to be a preacher? I said, oh, dear goodness, I hope not. I said, uh-huh. I said it's so uh-huh. traumatizing to me being a preacher's kid growing up. And uh, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I'll be a life coach from now on. No preaching, you know, because
0: mm-hmm.
3: this is the thing. People uh-huh. want to get into theological arguments and I'm like, I'm not into arguing with people. And that's not what I'm about. I'm about mm-hmm. helping people. And uh, once you start putting those labels on things, then people want to argue about it. But that's the problem that I had. I didn't manifest my, my grief, my pain, my, the abuse. I didn't manifest that externally. I kept it inside that's the reason why I had a nervous breakdown at 25, and almost had another one at 36. Um, yeah, because I kept it in. I right, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we have the, we have another I... phone
1: call here. Let me let me just uh, sure. you know, yeah, um, Michelle, um, yeah, you're here now. Um, this is uh, the gal I was telling you about, and. Um, She's had quite a life, all right, and um, and she's done an awful lot of things with her life too. She is is uh, very much into NLP and uh, all kinds of psychology and, and so forth. And uh, also too, Michelle, bless, yes, she did. Um, they actually flew a flag over the uh, Capitol in Washington D.C. to honor her cold case work. That's <laughs> that's wow. wild. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if you're, you're in the studio or if you can see this, but there's, there's, she's done so much. But she, you know, what she did. She, um, as a child, now I'm bringing this up because you're a minister, and uh, your father, give it what you take, or you know which way you want to look at. It. He too was like a, a preacher. So, um, but she didn't want to divulge the information. She was carrying it around all her ever since it happened as a child when she was being abused uh, by Mm -hmm. uh, neighbors and all this other stuff, other people, okay? And um, so you can't do that. I I would explode is what I'm I'm Mm -hmm. thinking. You know, see, that's why she had that nervous breakdown. Michelle, you had a nervous breakdown Mm -hmm. too, didn't you?
6: I did because I I held it in for I was in a prison in my own mind and locked in my own house, uh, uh, isolated from people for 10 years before I even came out to the world and talked to anybody human. So that's why I, I strongly recommend for anyone like, you know, when you go through a trauma at a young age, you know, a little girl a little boy, and if you don't get the help that you need and if you don't have an outlet, it can not only mentally and emotionally damage you, it could absolutely physically damage you. It, it can literally make you sick, you know. Mm-hmm. And so Definitely. that's why I push to share my story, to, to give hope to people that, you know, not to hold that in. You've got to have an outlet. You've got to have an outlet. I don't want people to do what I did. You know, I medicated because I didn't want to feel. I wanted to stay numb, which I stayed numb for, for years. And that's, you've got to have an outlet. You know, whether you, you know, pick pick something that that will give you peace, like whether you're knitting or some people, you know, they draw and paint. Some people, they knit and yawn. You know, whatever you choose that can give you some sort of peace. For me, I didn't realize I was it was suggested for me to write, but I was already journaling. I started journaling as a little girl, and I didn't realize that writing all those years would end up being a book, but it was helping me. Release, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, so when, when I when I started acting out, um, when I went to therapy, I I started hitting walls and tearing up pillows. And, but but see that's an outlet because I was finally letting it out. So whatever you mm-hmm. got to do to let it out, let it out. Don't hold it in. Mm-hmm. Holding in is yep. being quiet. Holding in is not talking about it. Holding in is medicating. That means you want to be numb. You don't want to feel. So, what do people do when they don't want to feel? They drink, or they yeah. they, they pop pills, or or yeah. they you know do do other drugs, or you know, and, and an addiction. Any addiction can be a drug. Like you know, sex. Mm-hmm. You know, can be a, can mm-hmm. be a drug to numb you. You yep. know, I did all that's that. That's right. <laughs> so that's why you right. know. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yes. That's why I wanted to bring that oh, in nice. um, Sonova, I wanted to bring that in Because you see, she's a minister And she had a father um, Who just recently um,
6: Passed away, very recently
1: Who, who passed your
5: away?
6: Father. Your father I'm sorry, who passed away? Oh, my i, father I told here. About my your
1: father, honey <laughs> Oh,
6: I didn't realize Yeah, we buried my dad two weeks ago And prior to that, we had just buried my aunt Which is one of my mom's sisters Like a month before that so, so she was talking
1: about a lot of loss too, Michelle. And so the, the two, okay. of you, they sort of like goes together. That's what I'm trying to do is bring it together. Um, yeah, she's a very good guest, and and she's done. Um, an awful lot of things and and uh let me ask you one more question because the show is is getting it's really starting to wind down now. but what did you do? I mean, Michelle and i well, we we popped pills we uh you know we drank, bill drank, I mean, a lot of us drink or did drink, I don't drink anymore um you know but, but how did you with all that that pain that you had inside, like I turned into an athlete at one point? And, and I love to run, and I love speed, and I, I love I love bikes. <laughs> That's risky, uh, maybe a little bit of behavior there. I don't drive them; I just ride them. Okay, <laughs> but you know, like when you were a kid growing up, what did you do with all of that 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 depression that you must have had that that feeling of of being dirty that we were speaking about before? How did you handle things? What What did you
3: do? Are you asking me? Yeah, yeah, I'm Miss nice to...
1: Newsanova. Yeah. Um, oh,
3: okay. um, I, I, what I did was I would overproduce things. So I, I thought I could revalidate myself by over overexcelling. So I was, mm-hmm. I was the extremely. I had to be the biggest, the best, the fastest, the, you know, everything in school. I tried to do the best I possibly could. I tried to get 115% in every class. I tried to, I overachieved everything. So what I did was I felt like I was so inferior that it didn't matter whether it was in, in school, whether it was in church, whether it was in music, whether it was in art, whether,
0: mm-hmm.
3: whatever it was. I thought I had to be 115% just to be, in my mind, good enough to join the team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I, even to, to this day, that's a habit that I don't feel like I need to do that anymore, but I, it's been a habitual thing for so many years that I catch myself, that, and I have mm-hmm. to drag
0: myself back off of it.
3: But that's how I, I survived. Uh, I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel adequate enough to even be in the room with you, much less uh, you know, join you in whatever sport you were doing. Um, I wasn't the best athlete, but I was really good. I was a really good floor person in volleyball, you know. So <laughs>
0: until
3: I had the accident that damaged my spine, I was I was the floor person. I I was I loved volleyball, you know. But I did everything 120% just to feel like I was good enough to be involved. Wow. Um, and that's, that's how I did it. I mean, and that's the reason why I, um, I'll tell you kind of a picture of my life at 25. At 25, I was already married. I had my own house. I was working full-time at the bank. I had a glass corner office, I was going to school at night full time, I was teaching a class three times a week at church at 25 and trying to stay married and I, um, I found out that I had the second highest GPA in the, in the college and I was angry because I was like, if I have known that this was a thing, I would have gotten first, you know, instead of being, oh wow, that's cool and being happy that I, I was mad because I didn't mm-hmm. get first I was like, well, dang it! I, and I even told him, I was like, well, if I would known known this was a thing, I'd have been first, <laughs> you know. But that's how I thought I had to be because I felt so inadequate inside. And then I found and to, to, to treat so totally
1: me. opposite of that, you know. I mean, you're, you're a oh, wonderful okay. person. You're, you're always out there trying to help people. A lot of us at NASA do that. You know, we want to help people. And we don't, you said it three times now, I think, you don't want people to go through, like, what we went through, for God's sake, you know, being exactly. the victim, and then then we become mm-hmm. the survivor, and then we become whatever we become, you know. So mm-hmm. um, it would be interesting for you, Michelle, to, to look up her bio, go into the uh, archives, okay, and you'll I'm see how...
6: i yeah, look at it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Maybe. and... Um, Check so glad you called in. Go ahead. Yeah, Go ahead. you can check Nova.
3: me out. At, uh, my, you can check out my website and get some more information on me. It's um,
0: mm-hmm. it's
3: uh, okay. Over um, If you want more information on the cases I've written about or something, but uh, I just uh, my thing is is I want these people to understand that I'm not. <laughs> The stereotypical abuse uh, victim. You know, I don't even label myself as a abuse survivor. You guys labeled me that because I mm-hmm. refuse to have the label. I refuse it. I will not call myself that because
2: so what do you I, uh, as?
3: I am. I am an overcomer. I overcome whatever. You know, but I don't. I don't label myself as a survivor because I look at it as that is a chapter in the past, and I do my best to not be emotionally attached to that at all. And so mm-hmm. I don't actively call myself a survivor because that is the way I. It's mostly my coping mechanism. But I don't like labels, and I don't like to be labeled a, a an abuse survivor because that still tags me with abuse, you know. So I think on the, uh, the, the lines on the NASCA website, you, you just put survivor and not abuse survivor. And I like that because I'm like, I'm not tagged with the word abuse. Um, right. Some people get, okay. um, get so attached to that word abuse, you know. And I'm like, that's not a word that I use to describe me at all. You know. Um, okay. But that's... So over. we're
1: almost at the... Uh, yeah. I hear you, right? and I, I agree with that. I, I, I don't have... You know what? I don't even have any emotions towards what happened to me anymore. I don't know if that's normal yeah. or not. And I don't care. Well,
3: that's, where you have to, <laughs> but, that's where you have to get to be. You know, you need to get to that point.
1: Yeah. Um, but the show's almost over, so what I'm trying to say here is that uh, we give the last, you know, like five minutes or four minutes, whatever you know, to the guest, and that would be you, to um, what would you say to give people hope, you know, that you can move on, you can become um, someone who is successful, um, you can have hopes and dreams, and, um, you know, so forth and so on. What would you say to the people that are listening and who are going to listen later, too?
3: Go ahead. Well, um, the main thing I want you to realize is that, your value is not diminished by what happened. You are valuable. You are the highest form of creation on this planet. You were meant to be here. You have a purpose. There's a reason why you're here. There is a, a purpose for your life. There are You are loved and that you are capable. You are more capable than you can possibly realize. I know it doesn't feel like that because we get so emotionally attached to the trauma, um, so much pain and hurt, that it's hard to realize. But your potential is so much greater than you think it is. You have the capacity to succeed. You have the capacity to detach emotionally from that hurtful past, you have the power to use that pain as building blocks to become the powerhouse that you're meant to be, and I have faith in you, and if you have nobody else in your life that believes in you, I will tell you that I do. I don't know who you are, but I have faith that you are capable, whether you realize it or not and that you have a purpose
1: yeah. for being here. That's right. I already got the 90-second cue, okay? This show went very fast, and Sonova, I think um, that you're due to come on, uh, I think it's on the 15th. I'll Thursday. get back to you, I'm pretty sure. Thursday, Thursday. yeah. hmm hmm And, um, you know, to come on as a uh, professional. I'm not, <laughs> you don't know, like the word of. I don't know, she was like the word of I whatever. Finished. But um, the point is this Yeah, you you were a wonderful guest And um, I'm glad you came on I hope you had a very good experience We did, you know, with you And um, I'll give you a call very soon How would that be?
3: All right, sounds good Thank you guys for having me I appreciate it Okay, and and Cricket
2: yeah,
3: quicker.
4: Yeah, thank you for Sonova. It was a great show, and I'm always proud of you. I've seen how far no. you've come. I can't yeah. believe we've known each other for like six years.
3: I know it's okay. crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for calling in to support me. She's so wonderful to do that.
1: Okay, okay I have Thanks to. Uh, I have to wrap two. this up now. Yeah, yeah okay, I have to wrap ahead. this up go now. Ahead. We had a wonderful show. I'm, I don't mean to cut you off, Bill, but I got this thing blasting in my ear. <laughs> okay.
2: And the sooner okay. I get rid
1: of it, yeah, I want to get rid of it. But anyway, Michelle, give me a call too. All right? Okay. I'm
6: going to call Michelle? you shortly.
1: Okay. I'm going to call you shortly. All right. Okay. All right. Good night, okay. everybody. God bless you. Um, take care of yourselves, and we'll be back on Monday. Bye now.
0: Block do you after all that you I, don't know. I, don't know. I don't know. Talk Radio.